Tom Borelli is a PhD molecular biologist turned political activist and a Newsmax contributor. Deneen Borelli is the author of Blacklash and a Fox News contributor. They're the Borellis, exposing government corruption and championing freedom, giving you the truth in black and white. This is Reigniting Liberty. Hey folks, thanks for checking out Reigniting Liberty. I'm Deneen Borelli and Dr. Tom Borelli is in the house bringing you the truth in black and white. And we have a good friend of, Bur of the Borellis joining us today. His name is Lieutenant Stephen Rogers. He is the re he's retired U.S. Naval Intelligence Officer and President of Campaign for America. Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to see both of you and thank you for the invitation. Uh, Steve, Thank we're big fans, us. and uh, we're so happy you, you took the time uh, to be with us today. And you know, right off the bat, uh, we want to talk about the uh, FBI raid of uh, former President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. And there's breaking news today about what the FBI seized from Trump's home. Initially, they said uh, Trump had some sort of nuclear weapons documents and now media sources are reporting that apparently they took 11 sets of documents that they broke down into four sets of top secret documents, three sets of secret documents, and three sets of confidential documents. So we're not sure what all that means, but with your experience in law enforcement and working with the FBI, could you expand and explain to our viewers and our listeners to what you think that means? I sure will. And for the benefit of your viewers, I, I would like them to know that I spent 38 years in a police department, uh, retired as a detective lieutenant and supervised a lot of searches, as well as uh, dealing with a lot of classified information uh, as I worked at the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. So I, I just want to mention that it lends to my credibility. So there's no question as to uh, what I'm talking about. To begin with, the uh, search warrant as it was executed was unnecessary. Uh, I, I could tell you that it shocked me to see the FBI go so far as to do what they did and how they conducted themselves on this warrant. Normally on a search warrant, what you'll do is, especially when you know you're dealing with nonviolent criminals uh, and you're dealing with people who uh, have a, uh, uh, well, in this case, the former president of the United States, uh, you knock on a door, you say, we have a search warrant, we would like to execute it, bingo. Uh, I could understand maybe they don't want to let anyone know, including uh, who's at the president's home, that they're coming. That I understand because if there's something going on that uh, is, is illegal, then it would give people time to get rid of documents, etc. But this wasn't the case. Uh, in fact, let's talk about what was the case. The case was that President Trump and his team had cooperated with the courts, cooperated with the attorney general's office, cooperated with the DOJ, and cooperated with the FBI every time they issued subpoenas or court orders for documents. He didn't hold anything back. He handed everything they requested over to them. So the question I have for them, why? Why is it that they felt necessary to bring heavily armed people, by the way, uh, to uh, execute a search warrant on an individual who was very cooperative, be he the president or not. 
Uh, and, and what went through my mind is, well, you know, we didn't see this happen when Richard Nixon was involved in Watergate. We didn't see this happen when Ronald Reagan was involved with Iran-Contra. Uh, and we didn't see this happen, whether the person is a president or not, with Hillary Clinton regarding the uh, bleaching of the laptops and where that classified information should have been, as well as most uh, recently, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. So, you know, these things went through my mind immediately. And all I could conclude uh, is that this truly is, at least in my view, the FBI being weaponized by the Department of Justice and uh, by the Biden administration to go after Donald Trump. And this was a political, political witch hunt. And let me just add one more thing. Uh, you know, Garland comes out yesterday and felt compelled to share with the American people that uh, he, he certainly doesn't want to see his agents threatened. Uh, there's been a spike in that. And I concur. Look, no, nobody is ever, ever going to condone violence. And anybody who commits an act of violence against any political organization or law enforcement agency should be dealt with swiftly. But here we have the weaponization of what? The FBI, for what reason? For political purposes. So my day back at the FBI, the agents are great, the field agents are great, but the executive uh, officers who now run the FBI, they've been politically compromised and they have lost the confidence of the American people. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, you said in your day, back in your time, uh, the manner in terms of how the agents operated and worked versus present day, uh, those who are going by the book, they must feel what, marginalized? Or like, how can they even defend themselves? Like, I wasn't part of this. Like, what could they be going through? They feel horrible. As I, as a police officer, felt horrible when police officers were caught uh, uh, violating their oath of office, when they were charged with police brutality, when they did things that were absolutely illegal and unnecessary. I know a lot of FBI agents. And I think what's lost in the conversation is the fact that the United States has not been viciously attacked as we were on 9-11 years ago because of the work of the FBI. They do a lot of work. I was with them. I was on their National Joint Terrorism Task Force. There are a lot of great agents there. And unfortunately, they are suffering because of the politicization of the FBI by the Biden administration and, frankly, because of their top echelon, meaning Director Gray, all the way down to the uh, last supervisor that has any connection to Washington, D.C. Steve, I think you mentioned the word, you're, what I really wanted to get, at, and I think you kind of referred to it as well, that you're, you know, having worked with the FBI for so many years and very closely, what was your first reaction when you saw the news? I think you used the word shock. And any, any other issue you want to add with respect to the tactics that they used? Well, yes, shock over the tactics. Uh, look, at I, I saw what everyone else saw on TV. You, you see the uh, uh, armed men. That, that, that caught my eye immediately. In fact, not only did it catch my eye, but as other law enforcement officers saw the heavily armed people uh, at uh, Mar-a-Lago, why? I mean, my goodness, we don't do that. In fact, one of the officers I worked with here in New Jersey years ago said that uh, he remembers a time when we conducted raids and executed search warrants on very, very uh, high-level organized crime figures. We're talking about pretty violent people. And we never went in there with uh, weapons like that. Uh, so that caught my eye right away. Uh, secondly, uh, the way it was executed, 
you know, you, you, you conduct a search warrant. You don't ask if this is true. I don't know yet, but it is it, probably a lot of credibility to what is being reported. If it's true that they told uh, Trump's uh, staff to shut off the videos that were in the building, that certainly raises a red flag. If you've got nothing to hide uh, during the search of the uh, premise, what are you worried about videos? And then going through the first former first lady's wardrobe or any personal effects, what was that all about? Uh, and then to refuse the staff or the lawyers to be present during the search warrant, that to me uh, was a real red flag. Now, let me say this to you. When we conduct search warrants, uh, we would go in, knock on a door, hand the search warrant to the person there and say, look, we have a search warrant for this premise. Uh, here are the rooms we're going to search. Is there anyone in the building? You always want to know if there's anyone there because they could be placed in danger as well as the officers. So you discover one or two people. So you gather everyone up, you ask them to stay in one room, and there'll be an officer in that room with them. Now, if there is uh, the owner present, if the lawyer is present and they ask to be present, yeah, you could be present, but there'll be a police officer standing right next to you. Uh, and you also want to make sure who's present is not armed. Uh, that's very important. And that's for the, the safety of the officers as well as the uh, people on the premise. So the red flags that went up, why weren't the, the lawyers allowed in? Why was there a, a question regarding uh, the videos in the building being shut off? And why go through the first lady's personal uh, effects? I mean, you're not going to find a large box with documents in her pocketbook. Uh, the only thing that was missing, I will tell you this, is uh, an invitation for CNN to come like they did with Roger Stone. I was looking for the cameras. And this, and my point is this regarding that. This is becoming a show uh, for the FBI, for the Department of Justice, a terrible, terrible, tragic show that hurt the credibility of the FBI again and again and again. Probably this time it's not going to be recoverable until there's reform, but really put... Uh, in the eyes of our allies and, uh, and especially our adversaries, something really dangerous and dark about what's going on in the United States today. Well, I'm glad you explained what the actual process is, Stephen, uh, because Tom and I, we've often talked about, you know, what if we were in this scenario? Like years ago, we had a Doberman pincher, uh, six o'clock in the morning, no knock and, uh, you know, utter chaos that's going on. We would not have known who's at the door. We would have been grabbing for our firearms. Yes, we do have guns, but you're still right. Who was there? Uh, uh, that the what the actual process is is just really important. And again, uh, folks have no idea if they're not paying attention the dynamics of this raid versus this could happen to you. <laughs> yes, and, and Denise, keep in mind this: the fact that they did not notify local police bothered me. I know the FBI has a habit of wanting to keep everything secret. They don't trust anybody. They don't trust the local police, the county police, the sheriff, they, the attorney general of Florida. They did not contact anybody. Now, they'll give you the excuse, well, we got to keep things secret. We don't want things to leak out. There's an organization, the FBI, that leaks everything out. They fabricate stuff, as they did with the Russian hoax. So they didn't notify the Florida attorney general. They didn't notify the local police. They didn't notify the Secret Service, from what I understand that uh, guards the president. And my point is this, could you imagine being a patrolman, a young patrolman in Palm Beach, uh, driving down the street, seeing a bunch of armed guys go into Mar-a-Lago, what could have happened? What could, I mean, what could have really badly gone wrong? 
And that's part of the reforms they need to make. They need to coordinate uh, with the local police. If they're going to give you the excuse, well, we don't trust the local police, then you know what? We don't trust the FBI. That used to be the norm years ago until back in the, uh, right after 9-11, uh, George Bush, President George Bush had actually created a fusion center called National Joint Terrorism Task Force so that there would be coordination and sharing of intelligence and information from local levels up to the federal level. That probably all went to hell because apparently they didn't do that. You know, you refer to it, Steve, but I want you to elaborate because what's troubling to me is the strong arm tactics that we've seen previously with Paul Manafort. I believe it was a no knock warrant. And, you know, they went in very early in the morning. And then Roger Stone, they had uh, the same sort of uh, seizure and invasion of his home. Uh, so who makes that call to make it such a public visual event? Is it the local FBI person in charge of it, or does it go higher up the chain? Because clearly there's a motive and a strategy of why they want to show this show of force. Well, it's a good question, and I'll, I'll answer it in, uh, uh, from different perspectives. To begin with, uh, if you're dealing like what we used to deal with, organized crime figures that have a history of violence and ordering violence, yeah, you're going to handcuff them and walk them out of their house, and you're going to show some force. Uh, in this case, you're dealing with someone uh, who was the former president of the United States. There was no need to show all this force. And, and, the, and the fact is this. If they're so good, the FBI is so good at gathering intelligence and information, then they had to know, absolutely had to know. There were no weapons on that uh, premise that would threaten them. In fact, there were Secret Service agents there. I mean, so, so, so they completely failed, utterly failed in... Uh, gathering uh, intelligence information that would prohibit them from doing the way they did with the tactics they did. But here's what happens, Tom. Uh, to answer your question, normally it's the commander on the ground, the person in charge of the warrant. Uh, but a lot of these people are overzealous. They want to see or the public to see what we call the perp walk, the perpetrator walk. And if they could, uh, they would probably handcuff somebody and drag them out. It's become a show. It's become a continuous show. And, you know, years ago, there was a news, uh, uh, a news uh, person at another network who said that uh, what we're going to be seeing after Donald Trump gets elected is the longest running reality TV show ever in the history of America. And what he meant was that because of the, at least I interpret it this way, because of the uh, political situation that was created as a result of Trump getting elected, which, by the way, I still say he didn't cause. He was a threat to the establishment. He was a threat to the norms. So it was those who produced this reality TV show, and they won't stop. So at the end of the day, what are in those boxes? And if what's in those boxes are not what they say they are, well, somebody's going to pay a big price. Even if they are, there's going to have to be uh, certainly an investigation as to see if those uh, documents he had were vetted and they were declassified. So they, they messed up all along. And one other thing that's important, if I may add, one thing I learned in police work uh, is that when you're investigating uh, criminal activity or any type of activity that uh, is in the interest of the public, you got to come out immediately and let them know what's going on. You don't wait two or three days. And, and, and you know what I was thinking? 
the reason why they're waiting two or three days, they got to figure out themselves what went wrong here. They got to make up a story. Uh, now, I could be wrong, but I've been around long enough to realize we better cover our trail here because maybe what we were looking for is not there. Now, that's a well, great point, because you would think if you're going to take such a high profile effort to go in a former president's home, that A, you have something there and the delay in time before Garland addressed the nation, uh, that does raise a lot of questions that they knew they had something. Garland would have been up right afterwards explaining it to the American people. Instead, they let this long delay go on, and that only adds to more confusion. And I think, I think you're probably right. I, I think it, it's cover-up. And the question I want to ask with respect to that, we know Garland's been under a lot of political pressure as a result of the January 6th commission, and, and a number of Democrats have called for uh, Garland to indict the former President Trump, which is clearly outrageous. Do you think it's possible that Garland gave the okay to this as a way of trying to pacify the Democrat dogs who were chasing uh, the former president? I don't think Garland made the decision. I think that decision came from the White House. I think he was told this is what you're going to do. Uh, and, 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 to, to, and, and it might base that conclusion on the fact that Joe Biden, the White House, denied they knew anything about this. I mean, give me a break. You're dealing with a former president of the United States, and you have no idea what your Justice Department is doing. Uh, they had to realize that there'd be a lot of fallout, and they had to let the White House know. No. And, Tom, one more uh, fact about the point you just made regarding Garland coming out uh, during the time frame he did. He only came out for one reason, because of the threats. Uh, which he admitted the threats all across the country against the FBI and law enforcement. He said he'd come out to answer that question. Uh, you know, the longer you wait to share with the public facts, uh, the more fiction that's going to be spread, the more lies, the more rumors, the more disinformation, the more conspiracy theories. You got to come out whether you like to hear it or whether you're going to say something to the public, whether they like to hear it or not. You got to come out and tell the truth quickly. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, the other thing Garland was saying is that uh, we shouldn't be critical of the FBI. I mean, is he serious? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, the most, crit the, the most critics that he's going to face are those in law enforcement across the country. Yeah, he'll get the political critics and the public certainly will, will criticize him. But those of us who have been there, who have worked in law enforcement our entire careers, I could tell you, uh, a lot of uh, law enforcement practitioners are weighing in on this very heavily. What he did was wrong. At least the tactics were wrong. You could have knocked on the door. You could have said, look, we're here. I'm not saying you'd have to call them ahead and say you're coming, all right? But you could go there, uh, nice suits, knock on the door. You've got, you're surrounded by secret service. You didn't even need to bring uh, armed people, if you will. And then we're coming in, we're gonna execute a search warrant. And that would have been it. That would have been it. But it was a show and it's a show that they're beginning to realize is backfiring. Talk yeah, to the us other about part the, is he, he, you know, Garland is such a hypocrite because uh, he's worried about uh, his, his agents and the Department of Justice I mean, and agents in the FBI being, you know, harassed and, and uh, you know, possibly assaulted and no one wants that. But boy, he was pretty aggressive against parents at school board meetings 
with respect to them challenging what uh, their children were being taught. He essentially sicked the FBI on them. And then even more outrageous, after the uh, overturn of Roe versus Wade, we had protesters outside the homes of Supreme Court justices, which is illegal, and he sat on his hands. He didn't do anything. You know, Tom, what we need to, you're absolutely right. And all of that is happening because the Department of Justice has been so politicized, people no longer trust the Department of Justice. They've certainly lost confidence in the FBI. But one of the things we can do to help the situation moving forward is to calm the nerves. Now, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we make absolutely sure that we do not blame at all the field directors, the agents on the ground who are protecting this country. We need to protect them from violent uh, people. We need to protect them of, from any violent behavior. That is so important because, you know, we say you see something, hear something, say something. Well, we can't get so to a point where we're going to want to see or we're going to ignore any potential violence against law enforcement. So I would always defend the agents on the ground. The other thing we could do is be absolutely sure, and I've said this over and over and over again, take your anger out on Election Day. There's no need for violence. There's no need to, 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 to do things that you would not normally do that could create a lot of trouble. Election Day is big now when it comes to the midterms because overnight, overnight, we could turn everything around. Overnight. So people, and I'm talking also to Democrats who I've spoken to, who are scratching their heads saying, well, you know, what's this all about? Uh, it could happen to anyone. Uh, go to the polls and vote. It's absolutely necessary we do that or all that we're saying and all that we're trying to do is going to go nowhere. No, those are great points. And so there are FBI uh, informants that are speaking up now in, in terms of Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, do you think this is going to go anywhere? Oh, good point. I'm glad you brought that up. There's something in law enforcement called the blue wall of silence. Now, that means that when a police officer or any law enforcement officer, for that matter, uh, does something illegal or knows of an illegal act by the agency, they say nothing. They just sew their tongues in their mouths and the blue wall goes up. Not uttered in a locker room, not spoken about in police cars. It's a blue wall, dead silence. If you're questioned by anyone, the blue wall goes up. Well, here's my recommendation to police officers that continue to live by those uh, unwritten rules. You better start talking. You better get a lawyer. And I'm talking to FBI personnel out there. You better get a lawyer and you better speak up and protect yourself now. Because when this shipwreck begins to sink, uh, if you know something and you didn't do anything about it, you have violated your oath of office and you're going down with the ship. If you think that the director of the FBI and any of these politicians that, that created this mess for you uh, on the field are going to come to protect you, Nope, they're going to let you go down with the ship. So, Deneen, you're right. Uh, not, they're just not whistleblowers, but they're people who have to do the right thing because they know what is the right thing to do. So don't be intimidated. Uh, uh, don't be bullied. And uh, you can protect your job under the whistleblower laws, but you better speak up because if you don't speak up and you get a knock at the door, those people are going to be there to sink your ship, not to save you. So following up on that, it you would think that if a couple of whistleblowers have already come forward, I think they 
approach and got information to Senator Grassley. That once that veil, once that wall is broke, do you foresee even more agents coming out and providing more information under the whistleblower protection laws? Oh, I, I believe that will happen because they'll begin to see the domino effect. Uh, not only is the top, see, I, I've always believed, look, uh, what's going on in the supervisory level, the, the director's level, uh, everyone in the agency knows. The, 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 the guy in San Francisco knows. The, guy, the gal in Montana in the field office knows. Everybody knows. Uh, that, that's the nature of police work. Uh, maybe not all the facts, but maybe some rumor. And we've always said in police work where there's uh, smoke, there's fire. So the fact of the matter is each officer, each agent is going to have to assess how much do they really know and do they know enough that somebody else knows what they know and they're going to come knocking at the door. It's, it's almost like when uh, you arrest two people and you put the two people in the different rooms, right? Yeah. And the other guy going, oh, is he going to squeal on me? And the other guy going, no, he's going to squeal on me. I'll squeal first to protect me. Now, I've done that with great success. I've, I've, <laughs> I've told uh, criminals, look, uh, you're taking a fall. He just told us that, wait a minute, wait a minute. He really did it, not me. Well, somebody's going to have to speak up. You're absolutely right. When the ship is sinking, everybody's looking for a life raft. That's the kind of interrogation that Deneen gives me once in a while, too. <laughs> All the time. And it works. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. Um, any idea what the next steps would be for President Trump in terms of what's going now, what's going on now and uh, you know, what, what's going to happen down the road? Well, it all depends on what they have and what they do, what they have. But I would hope that the, uh, the, the Congress and it'll probably happen after November, hold hearings and subpoena uh, every single player with regard to the who, what, when, where, and why of this search warrant and how it was conducted. We need answers to questions that are not yet being asked. So the target of the investigation should be those who went out and executed these search warrants. I guess one would say to sum it up, perhaps the hunters will now become the hunted uh, mm. by those who will be in power. And I'm not saying this is very healthy for America, believe me. I don't want to see the Republicans go out on, on their own witch hunt and, 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 and their own uh, uh, avenues to hurt people just for the sake of getting even. But we do deserve, as the American people, a lot of uh, questions we have answered. And the only avenue to do that is within the framework of the law and hope that our elected officials in November do that. They, they've got all kinds of hearings and committee meetings going on, but this is probably now a top priority because, think about this, the guy that they did this to may be running for president of the United States and may become the next president of the United States. So they need to get answers to questions right away and get this thing cleared up. So Steve, it's pretty apparent that the Department of Justice and the FBI have been politicized, but I'm kind of interested in the timeline. Do you have any idea when it really started with the politicization of this largest and most important law enforcement agencies in the United States? Well, I've got to tell you, I, I, I look back in history and I remember when J. Edgar Hoover was the director of the FBI. I mean, he kept a, a, a collar and leash around everybody in the country. But he kept the FBI on their toes. As I look back, it, it seems to me, and this is my opinion, uh, based on uh, living long enough to see it evolve into what it is, I really believe it was the beginning of the Obama administration. 
I think that uh, Ronald Reagan certainly had a great Justice Department. The, the Bushes, both of them, the Justice Department and the FBI pretty much were left alone. I will tell you this, that I worked at the National Joint Terrorism Task Force when Robert Mueller was director. He was a good director. He was uh, revered by the troops there. Uh, he, he stood that, that fine line. Uh, he didn't cross it. He knew what to do, what not to do. I was frankly surprised that he took the uh, special counsel's position to investigate the Russian hope situation. You know, there's an old saying, when you go out a winner, uh, don't go back into the ring because you're going to lose that bout. <laughs> and he kind of tarnished his reputation. But uh, uh, so M Miller was a good director. So right after uh, uh, Barack Obama got elected, I began to see the politicization of the FBI. And even when Clinton was in, it wasn't bad. Clinton kind of left them alone. But uh, something went wrong uh, with regard to the Obama administration. I think it had a lot to do with Hillary Clinton and what was going on with her. And before you know it, you know, it was like a cancer. And now the cancer has pretty much killed uh, the FBI. And do you think any of this is fixable, the FBI, the DOJ? Well, everything is fixable, but it's going to take some time. Uh, first of all, I, I truly believe that the next president, whoever that is, is going to have to remove every single executive officer of the FBI. Yes, for their resignations or fire them. They've all got to go. Uh, there's got to be a lot of reform with regard to sharing intelligence and information with local law enforcement and strenuous congressional oversight, bipartisan. And one more thing I think that needs to be done, if it's not being done already, any search warrants like the one we saw executed on President Trump, should not meet the approval of just one judge. They should have a three-judge panel look at all of the evidence and let three judges make the decision because our judiciary, too, is politicized. But you got to hope there are some in there that will say, well, we got to do the right thing for America. I have hope. We're Americans. Uh, Americans always win. Uh, but if we use our heads and not get emotional to a point where we're going to do things that should not be done, uh, and add uh, strength to the system and not weakness, uh, we're going to be fine. So it is fixable, take some time, but we'll be all right. And so before Steve, we let you go, oh, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, what, just try to get a, an idea of what you think the political consequences of the raid on former President Trump's home, what do you think is going to happen with respect to, you know, upcoming election? Is this a big issue? Oh, this is such a big issue. I've spoken to Democrats who have told me that they would never uh, support Trump. They just said, look, we don't like the guy. We're not going to support him. But what was done to him was done to this country. These are Democrats who are patriots. Uh, and uh, I said, so what are you going to do about it? They said, well, uh, if we don't go vote for a Republican in the midterms, we're not going to vote. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to have tremendous consequences uh, with regard to the midterms, but even more so, independents, those who are unaffiliated, I could see them now supporting President Trump. And any Republicans out there who kind of said, I'm not going to go vote, well, they're angry and they're going to go vote. So we may see, we just may see a 50 state sweep if President Trump decides to run. Uh, and in addition to that, I'm now believing that, you know, we're going to take not only some seats back in the Congress, but maybe close to all of them. Look, this was a direct assault, in my view, on America, on our democracy, on all of us. And it needs to be dealt with quickly uh, uh, and, and methodically within the framework of the law. 
for the benefit of this country as we move forward. You're so right, Stephen. And just one more thing I wanted to ask you about is the weaponization of the IRS. 87,000 agents. I mean, if folks are not paying attention to about this raid, uh, they really should be in regards to the IRS and what the intentions are in terms of all of these bodies that are going to be in Washington, D.C., uh, looking up whatever they can and going after people. And they're armed. A lot of yeah. them are going to be armed. Yep. 87,000 agents. Uh, those 87,000 law enforcement officers and the money could have gone to just about every high profile city in this country that's facing high crime rates. We could have done a lot to to build a confidence of the people back in law enforcement. But to your point, uh, this is why people have to go vote. We've got to get a Republican majority in the United States Congress and Senate and work very, very quickly uh, to turn things around. Uh, right now, we're not at the point of no return, but we're getting there. Uh, and we need to truly get to, to, to right the, what's wrong and to get this ship back on course. I believe we could. Hey, look at this is the USS America. That's what I look at it as. And we're a little off course. We're, we're not going to sink. We're going to float and we're going to go to those shores that were once called, and I still believe should be called, the shining city on a hill. See the guy behind me? Right there, Ronald Reagan, the shining city upon a hill. Most we need is the right captain. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and before we let you go, Stephen, please tell us about the Campaign for America. Well, campaign, the number four America.com. That's an organization I put together where a group of us uh, are conservatives and Republicans. Uh, we actually go around the country, we tour the country, and we do a lot of broadcasting. And we campaign for the one candidate, the one candidate that has won every war, never turned its back on the American people, uh, and, and truly uh, provided great growth to freedom and liberty in America. And that candidate is right here. Oh, glory. And we present the American flag to the people and we campaign for America. That is great. And any uh, social media platforms or other websites you want to mention? Well, if you like uh, your viewers, and I thank you for this, to go to campaign, the number four America dot com. Uh, we have a lot of information there. They could email us and we'll send them our social media platforms. We're on obviously Facebook or Cloud Hub, YouTube, Rumble, a host of them. Um, we air on Monday nights, and uh, I hope to have both of you on my broadcast. How's that? <laughs> we can put you All in right. the, put us in the hot seat. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'll make sure Tom is cleaned up and ready for that. <laughs> Poor Tom. <laughs> uh, well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And, and I want to thank you for doing what you're doing for this country. I've uh, watched a number of your broadcasts. By the way, that name is beautiful. Who, who, who gave you the name? Who named the broadcast? Well, we both kind of put our heads together. Well, I've got to tell you, a wonderful name, and you're doing great thank work. You. You're, doing, you're doing God's work and uh, because it's for freedom and liberty. Thank you so much. It's going to thank take you. all of us to get you. to right the ship, as you put it. That's <laughs> yes. right. Thank and thank you for your service for to our country. We thank really you. appreciate that as well, Stephen. Thank you very much. Thank you, folks. That's Lieutenant Stephen Rogers, retired U.S. Naval Intelligence Officer and President of Campaign for America. Thanks for checking out Reigniting Liberty. And remember, everyone has a role to play. What are you doing for liberty? Until next time.
This has been Reigniting Liberty with Tom and Deneen Borelli, the truth in black and white. For exclusive video footage of these interviews, be sure to follow Deneen Borelli on CloudHub at Deneen Borelli. And also make sure to visit DeneenBorelli.com. Follow Tom Borelli on Twitter at Tom Borelli. And follow Deneen at Deneen Borelli. Subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reigniting Liberty, the truth in black and white.